0: Hello, everyone! Can you hear me okay? Uh, It's a a privilege to be able to share with you this morning, right? So there I was. I was standing outside the house, wondering whether or not I should go inside. I'd taken my time to get there, um, just so I could sort of think as I went, I was sort of walking as slowly as I could, because I was completely unsure of myself as to whether I wanted to go in or not. I lit a cigarette, And I paced up and down the footpath, thinking, trying to decide. For context, this was a long time ago, okay? (laughs) I wasn't sure what I was going to find in there. I wasn't sure if I was going to like it. And I I felt like I wasn't even sure if I felt like I belonged in this place, or not. But eventually, after a long time of frankly trying to talk myself out of it, I finished my smoke, took a deep breath of fresh air, and went in. Where was I going, you ask? I was going to visit a life group for the very first time. You see, at that point in my life, I wouldn't have called myself a follower of Jesus. I would have maybe, if you had asked me about it, I would have said maybe I'm curious, or I'm you know, just checking it out, or I'm just trying to find out what this Christian thing is all about. <clears throat> I'm exploring, maybe. But I'd gotten into my head that um, Part of understanding, you know, what what Christianity means and what Christians do means they say that they do this thing on a midweek, and maybe I should go check it out and see what it's all about, hey? So when someone invited me to their life group, not long after I first started coming to this church, I took them up on it, perhaps to theirs and my surprise, if I'm honest with you, and agreed to go along and see what it was all about. I mean, I needed not have worried. At the end of the day, I had a really good time. I enjoyed myself. I felt very welcomed. The people were lovely. And... I saw the power of God on display that night in a way that I'd never really experienced before. Um, what I experienced that night was, was significant to me on my own personal spiritual journey, uh, and I, I look back now and I would count it as a real milestone that brought me closer to the point where I decided to fall in love with Jesus and follow him for myself. So why was I worried about it though in the first place? Because I thought in my head somehow, that I didn't belong there, that I wasn't supposed to be there, that I wasn't part of the club. Because in my head, I thought I needed to make some sort of commitment for myself before they'd let me join. I thought that, you know, if the people in the group found out what I was really like, they probably wouldn't want me coming to their group. Hopefully, However long you've been coming to everyday church for, I'm one of the elders, one of the pastors here, so this is a pers- this is a, a, a question that's dear to my heart. But hopefully, however long you've been coming to this church, you will have experienced a warm welcome. Please tell me that that's true, right? Thank you. <laughs> hopefully you've experienced we're a very welcoming church. But isn't it funny? that the stigma of churches and church communities over the years has been about the people that they exclude rather than the people that they bring in? Isn't it funny how over the years that we've got this sense of that, you know, people think of church as being this exclusive club for those people over there, but it's not really think- something for me. See, I had it in my head that I was going to come to a church and I was going to be judged for who I was and what I was doing, uh, and that I wasn't, just wasn't going to fit into this environment. But the reality of it was, more, was way better than I could ever have imagined. See, we're in this uh, series, sermon series called 3D Jesus. We are looking at what it means to not be a flat two-dimensional follower of Jesus. And we want to blow away some of the misconceptions that people have about the real Jesus Christ. See, we're learning as a church to embrace all of the glorious aspects of God's character and put them into practice as we try and follow him in everything, not just in some things. And see, the 2D image of Jesus that we're looking at today is that Jesus doesn't exclude or condemn anyone, which is a change from what people think churches are about, and it's even a change from what we read about in the Gospels, because we're going to have a look at some stories in, in, in Luke's Gospel a little bit later on where even the disciples have a, have a flat 2D picture of Jesus. And Jesus wants to show himself in all of his three-dimensional glory. See, he's so different throughout, from the way that the church throughout history has portrayed him. Churches throughout history have sadly propagated the mindset that Jesus is only interested in a particular group of people, that the church is a gathering of people to be like a holy huddle separating themselves from the world, and a place only that, you know, only those guys go to. Churches over the years have sadly been places of judgment and condemnation. My heart has sometimes towards certain people been a place of judgment and condemnation. There's a great story in a book by uh, by a Christian writer called Philip Yancey. The book's called What's So Amazing About Grace? And at the beginning, he talks about an encounter that he has with a prostitute who has gone through a horrible situation in her life. And not knowing what to say to her, he says offhandedly, have you ever tried going to a church? And he says something like, I'll never forget the look on her face. Church, she says, why would I go there? I was already feeling bad about myself. They're going to make me feel worse. It's, a, it's quite a well-known story in that book. And I think that that's the impression that some people have about church, isn't it? And we want to be clear that this image is not the real Jesus. And my hope and what, everything that I as a pastor work towards everyday church is to be a place where that is not the case, And that that mindset is nowhere near our thinking at all. But to help us understand how we can get to that place of of people thinking the church is an exclusive club, we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 46. If you have a Bible with you, it would help you to turn there. I will put some of the verses up on the screen so you can follow along. But if you have a Bible, you can open it now to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to start at verse 46. We're going to look at a few snippets. We're going to sort of jump around from Luke's account of the life of Jesus and we're going to see just how badly the disciples misunderstood Jesus because they had a flat 2D expectation of him. Here's the first episode. Luke 9:46 to 48. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus knowing their thoughts took a little child and had them stand beside him and he said to them whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest stop for a minute whichever way you look at this story it is not a pretty conversation is it it's an ugly ugly conversation The disciples were arguing with each other about who was the greatest. When I walk down the street with my two children, I sometimes put my hands out like this so they can hold on to my hands. They will fight over which of them gets to hold my right hand and which of them gets to hold my left. Usually they know which which pocket my phone is in, so they want to be the closest to that one. But even that isn't as bad as this encounter here, that we see the disciples squabbling over which one of them is the best. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Except for the fact that I know that I've been like that in my life as well, too. I've stood in rooms full of leaders and tried to compare myself to them. I've tried to compare my achievements in my working life, in business, in my church leadership life, with the leaders around me. I've sometimes felt intimidated by the leaders that are in the room. Sometimes I felt like, actually, do you know what? I'm probably better than these guys. And I catch myself saying, and I think, man, I'm just like these guys. I don't get it sometimes. Jesus doesn't actually hear the conversation that they're having. Um, It just says that that an argument started. Jesus doesn't actually hear the words that they say, but he doesn't need to. Since they're acting like spoiled children, he gets a literal child and stands the child amongst them in order to point out how ridiculous their argument is. And he says, if you want to be, you know, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. What he's trying to say is, is that The disciples' greatness has nothing to do with their worldly position and more to do with how small they're willing to get in order to reach people for the gospel. It's not about how high up you can get, it's about how low you can go for the gospel. It's about how, how far and how long and how low you're willing to go in order to reach people to tell them the good news about Jesus. It's not about the prominence of my position. It's about whether I'm willing to stoop down to what Jesus calls the least of these Here's the next story. Jesus goes on to sort of amplify this, you know, in more detail in this story from Luke 5. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Just a side note here. This is not to badmouth you if you happen to work for the HMRC. It's not that tax collector is a bad job or anything like that. It's that in these times... Being a tax collector was working with, with the occupied forces. It was working with the Roman government. It was being seen as a turncoat and a traitor to your own people. So he goes to the tax collector, follow me, Jesus says to him. And Levi got up, followed everything, left everything sorry, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the establishment in other words, who belonged to their, their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. See, what Jesus is communicating here is how much he advocates for the poor, for the outcast, for the rejects of society. And when I think about how much time my, you know, in my life, in my regular week, is spent with people like that, I get challenged, if I'm honest with you. So I want to kind of ask you as well too, if you're not spending time with the kinds of people Jesus spent time with, but perhaps you find yourself in any given week disproportionately fi- spending a lot of time with other Christians, I want to say maybe there's, there's some way that we've, we've missed... An opportunity to be a 3D follower of Jesus. We've been using this graphic a lot over the course of this series. We want to be a church community that connects up with God, and I think we're really good at doing that. We want to be a church community that connects in with one another, with God's family. My experience of attending a life group, you know, all those years ago, and hopefully your experience of being part of a life group as well, has showed you that we're very good at connecting in with one another. But we can't miss that if we just do those two things, we're only being 2D followers. What we want to to also be is a community that connects out with those around us. Regardless of what position or of influence you find yourself in, there are people around you that God has put around you so that you can reach out to them and show them the good news of the gospel for themselves. Um, If we miss one of those things, we're missing something about what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus. This is not condemnation for anyone, but it is a challenge for us to look at our lives, to look at how we spend our time, to look at who we're spending our time with. There are weeks go by where I see only Christian people throughout the week and I think, man, I've got to get that balance right somehow. I'm giving you permission as a a church leader to go and spend some time with your non-Christian friends. I'm giving you permission to take up hobbies that are going to surround you with people who are not like you. I'm giving you permission to go into your workplace and say, hey, here's a group of people that God has put me in front of because he wants me to get to know them, to love them, to bless them, and maybe hopefully to see Jesus' power work in them. Amen? This is the kind of community we want to be like. The point is, is that Jesus accepts anyone. Everyone is invited in to the kingdom of God, and no one is excluded. I'll say that again, because no matter how many times I can say this to myself, there's something in me that says, yeah, but what about person X? Jesus accepts anyone. Anyone is welcome in God's kingdom. Because if there's anyone in your life that you think maybe God couldn't work through that person, think again. Because as this chapter goes on, we're going to see some examples of the disciples continuing to misunderstand how truly revolutionary and mind-blowing Jesus' grace is. Even knowing they them, what they themselves had been saved from, they look at people around them and think, yeah, but they're not like me. Let's pick up the story again. Luke 9, uh, starting at um, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent on messages ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. I don't know about you, but I'm trying to picture the conversation at this point. James and John says, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy these people? And you can just hear Jesus saying, well, I'm not really sure. Wait, what? What? Are you guys crazy? Just because they didn't roll out the red carpet for us, you want want me to obliterate them? Are you guys mad? Listen to the words that they say. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Do you want to pour out your judgment on these people, Jesus? And Jesus says, no. The amount of restraint that Jesus shows here is extraordinary. Notice how he diffuses the situation. He rebukes the disciples. I would too, just quietly... And then to diffuse the situation, he says, maybe we should just move on and go somewhere else. It's incredible the mindset that the disciples had that like maybe anyone who who opposes Jesus has to be destroyed. Do we think like that sometimes in our lives? Do we think about people who are actively opposing Jesus? Do we think, man, these people need to be destroyed? Or do we look at them with the love and compassion that Christ had for them? If we jump, it sounds ridiculous that they would even make a suggestion like that. But jump back a verse in the story, and we see something really extraordinary. Luke 9 49, Master John says, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. And here's where I think Jesus gets really revolutionary because it looks like he's actively encouraging people who say that they're doing things for God, but who are not actively following him. Do you see what's happening here? That's mind-blowing when you think about it. And to help me illustrate this in a bit more detail, here's a reference I never thought that I would ever get to use in a sermon. Who can tell me who this is? (coughs) Kanye West, Malcolm. Malcolm knows who Kanye West is. (laughs) All right, for those of you who don't know, this is American rapper Kanye West. Uh, you may know him as a rapper, you may know him as being married to Kim Kardashian, you may never even heard, have heard of him, that's okay too. Um, Kanye caused a bit of a stir recently, and we'll get to that in a moment, but I want to take you back first to 2004. In 2004, Kanye West releases an album with a song on it called Jesus Walks. Okay? At the time, I remember listening to that song on repeat for hours at a time, and it really spoke to me and helped me through a period where I was going through a patch of spiritual dryness. I was a young Christian. I was trying to follow Jesus for myself, and I was just going through this period where I didn't feel like I was hearing from God at all. Here are some of the lyrics to the song Jesus Walks. God, show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down. The only thing that I pray is that my feet don't fail me now. And I don't think there's nothing I can do now to right my wrongs. I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we ain't spoken so long. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a psalm to me. That sounds like the kind of thing that King David would have written. But at that point in his, in his life, in 2004, I don't really think that Kanye was living a life that we would associate with a follower of Jesus. In interviews around that time, he said, he'd say things like, I, th- I would think that I'm spiritual. He said things like, I'm a vessel and God has chosen me to be the mouthpiece. He's an arrogant guy. He's a rapper, so it's okay he once stated in an interview around about that time that he believed in God, but he would never go into religion. He subsequently started calling himself Jesus, which is a play on the end of his name, Kanye, and Jesus. He's putting himself in the place of the Messiah. And if you listen to other music that he's made, it's clear that not all of it glorifies God. And yet, God used his music to speak to me. But I think if the Apostle John had been around at this time and heard Kanye's music, he would have said something like, we heard what Kanye West was making and we tried to stop him because he wasn't one of us. Do you see what's happening here? If we're not careful, we can put up barriers to people encountering Jesus for themselves, where Jesus would have encouraged them to come closer and to keep doing what they're doing. Here are some practical examples. We're getting close to Christmas. Christmas is a time where people, Christians and non-Christians alike, their thoughts start turning towards charity, about wanting to do something for people less fortunate than themselves. Every year here we participate in the Merton Winter Night Shelter, and every year we get people who wouldn't call themselves Christians asking what they can do to help out on it. And I want to let them do it. This year, we're once again joining in with an initiative called Christmas Lunch on Jesus. Christmas Lunch on Jesus is is an initiative where um, local churches will gather together, will pack Christmas hampers, and will deliver them to people in our community who are referred to us by the council who are in most need and who probably won't be able to afford a Christmas dinner for themselves. If somebody wants to help me who's a non-Christian, because we get people who are non-Christians coming along to help out with this initiative every year. If someone wants to come and help us pack and deliver a a box containing a Christmas dinner that says Jesus in really large letters on the side of it, I don't want to say to them, hey, I don't think you're one of us. I want to say, hey, why don't you come and proclaim the name of Jesus with me as I deliver this hamper to someone who really needs it. Amen? If you're exploring here, if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus... Maybe you're exploring God for yourself. Maybe you're on a, the same sort of journey that I was those years ago when I went to a life group. I want to encourage you to get stuck into our, into our Christian community. You are so welcome here. God is glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I want you to be part of what God is doing amongst us. I don't want you to just come to a Sunday service and go, yeah, that was pretty good. Let me, let me think about it some more. I'd encourage you to come and try a life group for yourself. I'd encourage you to join the serving team and really go on the journey that God is taking us on as a church, not because we need people, but because I want you to come close to us and to see what God is doing in us and maybe God wants to do through you as well too. Now, of course, there are some areas of church life where you might not be able to serve in at the moment. There are often areas around teaching and around leading, leadership, where we say, actually, you need to be a member of the church in order to, to, to take on some of those roles, just because we want to understand who is leading uh, the, the, the people of everyday church. But other than that, I don't want everyday church to be a club for Christians. I want it to, to be a place where no one is excluded and everyone can learn more about Jesus for themselves. Amen? Amen. This is the kind of church I want us to be like. I said I'd come back to the stir that Kanye West caused recently. A couple of months ago, Kanye West has undergone what appears to be a genuine spiritual transformation and now calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. He recently released a new album called, if I can flick to it, Jesus is King. Wow. And if you've listened to it, the songs on them are very overtly Christian and massively glorifying God. A well-known Christian rapper had this to say when reviewing this album. He said, "'Based on what I've seen, "'it appears that Kanye is a new believer.'" Praise God. "'Jesus is King,' this album, "'has the aroma of someone who's had an encounter with the Lord "'and wants everyone to know it.'" It seems clear to me that this is not a strategy on Kanye's part. He's not focused on appeasing a particular crowd or market. He's sharing his love for the Lord and letting the chips fall where they may. Hallelujah. God works in everyone, doesn't he? Now, because of the audience and the coverage that Kanye West gets because of who he's married to and what he does, the gospel is suddenly being broadcast to many, many, many more people than you and I could ever hope or dream to to be reaching. And I reckon Jesus is loving it. God can use anyone to glorify himself because he rejects no one. Of course, we have to be careful to point out that Jesus was very clear about the cost of following him. The story continues on. we see a number of encounters where Jesus says very clearly that although He draws people near, if you're going to follow Jesus in true 3D fashion, it means that your life is going to have to change somehow. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 9:57. I can't read that one. It's too small. <laughs> As they were walking down the road, a man said to him, "I will follow you wherever you go." Jesus replied, "Foxes have dens and birds have nests." But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's setting out the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. You're not, you, 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 know, you, might, you might not lose your house, but you will lose something as you have to lay it down in order to follow God. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's not saying reject your family. He's saying, actually, you, you have to understand that following Jesus is going to be the most important thing in your life if you're going to grasp this with, with with everything you've got. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is you can't be in both camps. You can't say, yes, I'm following Jesus, but I'm still doing all of this stuff as well too. Yes, I'm following Jesus, but I really like my job and the money that he gives me. Yes, I'm following Jesus, but I don't want to give up that relationship, which is a little bit toxic and is probably causing me harm. You see what, he, what Jesus is doing? He's, count, he's helping people to count the cost of what it means to follow him. And if you are, wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus here, I'd encourage you to count the cost carefully of what it means to follow God. But he doesn't start there, does he? He starts by saying, come closer. And then let's have a look at what's going on. John 3.17 says, God, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save his son through him. What we discover is is that Jesus never rejects people. People reject Jesus. In in some of these encounters, these people walk away sad because they've looked at Jesus and said, I can't commit to that, and they walk away. Jesus doesn't reject them. Um, They reject Jesus. See, at Everyday Church, we want to be a church that draws people in and doesn't keep people away. To try and summarize this for you in a nice way, um, if you've done the membership course here, you'll have heard us talk about this concept using the medium of fruit. So that's what I'm going to do today. You will have heard us talk about coconuts, peaches, and tomatoes. If you've done the membership course recently, you will have heard us talk about this. See some churches can be like coconuts. Coconuts are hard. They've got a tough exterior. They're very, very hard to penetrate. I'm I'm worried if I do this too hard, I might get coconut juice all over myself. (laughs) They're very, very hard exterior. They're exclusionary, aren't they? They are tough to penetrate. They are tough to get into. See, the Pharisees in Jesus' time would have, called them, would have identified strongly with being a coconut community. They wanted people to, act, to get their act together before they came and joined them. They put rules and regulations on people and said, you can't be one of us unless you follow all of these things. They created a tough exterior that was hard to penetrate because they wanted to create a sense of us and them. This is us. And all of these people are, are, were protected from them by this tough exterior. And in the passages we looked at today, even though the, even the apostles thought that they were something resembling a coconut community. Because they act, kept actively trying to block people who were coming closer to God. Coconut communities often connect very well up with God, but not in with, with each other very well since they tend to be full of hypocrites. And since everyone's so obsessed with keeping the rules that they don't really love one another very well, and they're really bad at connecting out with the world around them because they communicate this sense of exclusion. What do you notice about a coconut once you get inside of it? It's hollow. It's hollow. There's nothing there. There's just coconut juice, liquid in there. But the inside is hollow. And that's because if you get into the middle, you find out there's nothing holding you there except for rules and regulations and hypocrisy. People don't stay in coconut communities for very long because they're like, I can't keep this up. And actually, when I got to the middle, I found out that the leaders were just as bad as I were, and they just pretended that they were different. Yeah? Um, It has no substance, and likewise, communities that work on exclusion lack substance in the middle because they put unreasonable expectations on people. Nobody wants to be a part of a community like this. Jesus himself had plenty to say about, about people that were like this in Luke 11. He says, woe to you who put tithing on your spices and yet put such unreasonable expectations on people. Jesus says in Luke 11, you yourselves, talking to the Pharisees, have not entered into a relationship with me and you've hindered those who are trying to enter. Coconut communities stop people seeing the real Jesus for themselves. Religion doesn't save in response to coconut communities, some churches can go the other way and be like a tomato. What do you notice about a tomato is as different to a coconut? It's a very soft exterior, right? It's easy to get into. But look what happens. It's just as easy to get out of as well, too. It's not just soft on the outside. It's soft all the way through the middle. Tomato communities are very welcoming. They're easy to get into. There are places where they'll tell you that there's no judgment here, which is great, a great thing to hear. But at the same time, there's no challenge on counting the cost of following Jesus, is there? There's no sense of expectation that you can change. There's no sense of expectation that Jesus wants to do a work in your life as you come in and be a part of these communities. They're easy to fall into and easy to fall out of because there's nothing keeping you in the center. You can belong without believing and you can slide out just as easily as you slide in. We don't want to be like that at everyday church either. We want to be something a little bit more like this. This is a peach. We want to be a peachy community. I think it's peachy. Actually, that's what this message is called, peachy. A peachy community is just as soft and welcoming on the outside as a tomato community. So it connects out very well with the world around them. Because it's, uh, it's soft and it, like through the middle as well too, they connect in with one another because we don't put put hypocrisy on each other, we don't put masks on one another, we want to be the same inside as we are out. But notice what happens when you get to the middle. What's in the centre? There's a stone. In the the middle of a peach is a stone, which is the rock of the truth of Jesus. It's it's solid, it's uncompromising. If you cling to it, it won't let you go. It's hard to break down but it's always presented in the context of a loving relationship with Jesus. We don't start with hardness on the outside. We start with softness, with welcoming, with engagement, with come, And then we say, if you're going to follow Jesus, there's there's a tough cost to this. But Jesus is the rock and he's going to sustain you through it. And because you're in community with us, we're going to sustain you through it as well too. We want to be a peachy community, don't we? We want to get to a point in relationship with Jesus where Jesus says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. I've got some stuff I want to do in your life, and my Holy Spirit can can change you to become the person I always intended you to be. And when we cling to that rock of Jesus, man, communities get transformed around us, don't they? The truth is always more palatable and more achievable when it comes from a loving Father who doesn't condemn us, but who truly saves. I told you about the beginning about my first experience of joining a life group, I made sure that I never forgot that, that feeling of not, want, not being sure of whether I was going to belong or not, of not being sure of whether I was going to experience condemnation or not. And I never want anyone else who wants to come closer to God to feel like that either. So flash forward to today, there's a life group now that meets in my house, the, my wife Beck leads it. If you come to that group, more than likely or than not, my 11-year-old daughter is going to wel- open the door and welcome you in, because children are just a part of, uh, as much a part of our community as we are. And to be honest with you, she's going to give you a much more, a better welcome into my house than I am because I'm too busy running around trying to get stuff ready for the group. She's going to welcome you in. She's going to take your coat from you. She's going to offer you a drink. And I, and I love the fact that she comes and sits with us and she gets to experience what it means to be a follower of Jesus for herself by seeing people come into our house who are, who are on a journey of wanting to follow God. And she's a part of that. Yeah? Yeah. When you come into my house for my life group, you're going to sit down with us at the table and we're going to have a meal together because we say, hey, you're part of our family. You're one of us and we want you to welcome you in. Um, I get emotional when I talk about this stuff because I say it a lot. Um, I say it on the membership course as well too. Um, I'm from Australia. All of my, my blood family is in that country. And so my church, this is my family. And so if you come to my house, you're part of my family. And if it wasn't for the family and the sense of community that I've discovered in everyday church, I probably would have moved back to Australia a long time ago. Um, What I love about my group is is that we have people from all different walks of life, from different age ranges, from different experiences, from different cultural backgrounds. And even though supposedly I'm the elder in the group, every day that we have a life group, I walk away having learned something about what it means to follow God from one of the people in my group. I love it. I love church community. And I think I'm pretty sure that that pretty much any life group in in, in everyday Wimbledon is going to be the same. We're peachy. Come and join us. As we close, I want to encourage you. If you're on this journey about finding more about, about who Jesus is but you wouldn't call yourself a follower of God for yourself, I just want to encourage you, draw closer to him now. He's here. He's present. He's active. He's speaking to you right now. He loves you. He's for you and not against you, and he's got some stuff he wants to do in your life today. And my hope is, is that everyday church, you find a community of people who are on a similar journey to you, who won't judge you or exclude you, but invite you in. Let's journey together, and let's see where God takes us. If you're a Christian here today, I just wonder if there's some ways in which we have to do business with God. I wonder if there's some ways in which we have to maybe even repent a little bit about writing people off the kingdom of God, of thinking that maybe the, those people, God God can never work in their life. God doesn't want to use them. I've tried and I've asked that person about Jesus so many times that I've always said no. It's clear God doesn't want to have anything to do with them. No. That's a lie. If you've, if you've ever heard an, in your own voice an, apost- an echo of the Apostle John saying they aren't one of us, maybe we just need to repent today and come before God and say hey God, would you use me to reach those around me and maybe God would you do something amazing in their lives because I know that you want to do something in their lives as much as you want to do something in mine. As Nathan and and Joe led us earlier, today is Remembrance Sunday. Wars are often started because of coconut attitudes, the us and them. Conflict gets created when we create exclusion from from people around us. When we say that's them and this is us and we don't want them to come close to us. The cost and the sacrifice of war is horrifying. But we can also take heart in Jesus, who made the ultimate sacrifice for all humanity. And because of his great sacrifice for us, we can celebrate today not just peace and an end to hostilities, but we can celebrate the the reconciliation of of the nations and all of humanity under the great reconciler, Jesus Christ. As we remember those who lost their lives in war and who today serve in conflict for our peace, let us also remember Jesus. See, if Jesus is the great reconciler, then that means that no person, no area of life is off limits to the power of God. So later on, as we take communion together, remember the words of Psalm 24 that says at the beginning, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which should stir faith in us that we we can go out and see people who want to receive the real 3D Jesus for themselves. Do you want to be a peachy community with me? Let me pray and then we'll respond to God together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you use anyone and everyone to glorify yourself, even people who, pro- who, who wouldn't claim to be following you. Lord, I want to pray that you would create in us a community of people that excludes no one because you excluded no one. Lord, I pray that you would create in us a community of people that is clear to, to follow Jesus in all of your glory that is clear to, to count the cost of what it means to follow you, but who does it in the context of love and of welcoming and acceptance. Lord, I pray for this community that we're, that we're a part of. We love you, Lord. Help us to communicate the love that you have shown us to those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen.